you got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 20 to 31 in Acts chapter 9 as we continue to look at what took place in the life of Saul. And the title of this message simply is entitled this, Who Does He Think He Is? Who Does He Think He Is? Now, you always wonder, there have always been some unlikely pastors out there, if we're quite honest. Many people wonder how God can take certain lives and change them and turn them around. At a young age, John Newton went to sea. Like most sailors of his day, he lived a life of rebellion and debauchery. For several years, he worked on slave ships, capturing slaves for sale to the plantations of the New World. So low did he sink that at one point, he actually became a slave himself, captive to another slave trader. Eventually, he became the captain of his own ship, but the combination of a frightening storm at sea coupled with his reading of Thomas Akimsey's classic imitation of Christ planted seeds that resulted in his conversion. He went on to become a leader in the evangelical movement in 18th century England along with such men as John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, and William Wilberforce. On his tombstone is inscribed the following epitaph written by Newton himself. John Newton, clerk once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. John Newton. Now, you may say, I don't know that name. Oh, yes, you do. If you've ever, ever sang Amazing Grace, you know John Newton. He wrote it. He wrote it after God brought him out of being a slave trader and one who sold slaves for a living. He brought him out of that destitute life, changed him forevermore, and he became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, many people would look at him and say, well, look at his past and look at his history and look at all the things that he did prior to that. Here's, here's the amazing thing that I want you to understand about God. When you give your life to Jesus, all that old is thrown in the trash. All that old life that everybody wants to hold against you and bring back up into your memories, all that old life, Jesus has created a tabula rasa. He has given you a clean slate to start life all over. Yes, let me tell you, God can use the most destitute of men to preach the gospel. God can use the most vile men to preach the gospel. God can change the worst sinner we've ever known, and we see that in the apostle Saul. And I want us today to look at three stages as Paul's ministry begins. Let's begin in verse 20 as we see Saul begins to preach. Verse 20 says, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he's the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. I want you to see that very first word in verse 20, immediately. Isn't it amazing that the moment after Saul got saved, he started preaching? 
It didn't take him having to go through classes. It didn't take him having to go through school. He knew what he knew, and he began to preach Jesus. If you are a Christian, then a lot of people say, well, you know, I just don't have the confidence to share the gospel. If you are a Christian, there is an immediate change that happens in you. The old is done away with. God gives you the new, and he'll give you the spirit, the courage, the power, and the strength to share him with a lost and dying world. Saul immediately changed. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of Christians, it does take time. There are a lot of Christians that grow slowly. That's not a problem. The problem is, is if you don't grow at all, if you remain the same stagnant person you were at the moment you got saved, then you might want to check whether you got saved. Because when Saul got saved, he immediately began preaching the Christ in the synagogues. But there's two things he preached about Jesus, that he is the son of God. You might say, well, why is that important that he preached that Jesus is the son of God? Well, he believed that Jesus was God. By declaring that, that's the very thing the Pharisees, which Saul had been a part of, stood against Jesus. They believed that Jesus blasphemed, and that's why they went after those in the church to go and get them. Saul was on his way to disrupt the early church. He was on his way to persecute Christians. He was on his way to drag them back to Jerusalem and cause them to blaspheme their God or suffer the consequences and die. Saul was that kind of man. And now he's immediately changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ as Jesus met him on the road to Tarsus and changed his life and saved him so that he immediately begins to preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There are several times where the Pharisees were upset with Jesus. They believed he blasphemed. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus healed the paralytic, if you remember the story in Matthew 9, there's a man who was paralytic. He couldn't move, and four friends brought him on a mat. They carried him up to the roof of the home where Jesus was teaching. They tore apart the roof. They lowered this man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, that wasn't what they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus to simply say, get up and walk. And he would have walked out of the house. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. They began to debate among themselves. Who does he think he is that he thinks he can forgive sins? Jesus said, just to show you that I can forgive sins, he looked at the man, he said, get up and walk. The man picked up his bed and walked out the house. If he had sinned, if he had lied, if he had blasphemed, he could not have healed that man. He proved right then and there that he could forgive sins. But they thought he blasphemed, and they went after him. In John chapter 5, they again thought he had blasphemed when he declared that he and the Father were one. They thought he blasphemed in John chapter 8, verses 58 and 59, where Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, declaring God's covenant name. They thought he again blasphemed in John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. They thought he blasphemed again when they brought him before the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin in Matthew chapter 26, and he stood before the Sanhedrin, and they said, you tell us, you tell us right now are you he are you the son of God are you the Christ and he says it is as you say and they said he's blasphemed this is why Saul was going after Jesus and those who followed him because in his heart his heart in his heart of hearts he thought that they had blasphemed God he thought that they deserved punishment as the Old Testament declared. Those that blasphemed God, they would have stoned them. And so Saul was going hard after Christians during that time until God knocked him off. 
lightened him up and showed him the truth. And he began to proclaim the exact opposite of what he was trying to destroy. He began to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, they thought it was a trick. Because verse 21 says, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? We know why this guy is here. We know what he's come to do. He's come to destroy the church. And now he's using this top opportunity to preach, to basically garner the people in and take them off to be persecuted. They weren't certain what they could believe about him. But verse 22 keys in on it. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. He confounded them. Now, you might say, well, what does that mean? That means that as he preached, he disproved them at every turn. Why in the world would he have done everything he could to disprove the Jews if his point was to kill the Christians? That's what turned their mindsets around about him. Wait a minute. He can even defeat those who sent him out. He can topple them, those that wanted him to take the name of Christ down. He is actually defeating them and showing us that the truth of the scriptures is real. That Jesus is the Christ. You might say, well, why is that important? This is the second thing Paul preached, that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen one. You might say, well, why is that important? Because to the Pharisees, there were three reasons why they didn't believe that. Number one, they were jealous. They were very jealous of Jesus when he walked the earth. They were jealous because the people began to leave the Pharisees and follow him. And they didn't like their following dwindling because they believed that they were the ones that had the right knowledge. Not only did they not like that they were jealous of Jesus, but they didn't like the fact that he didn't follow their traditions. They have made many man-made traditions. And they believe that because of their traditions that everybody should follow those traditions. And Jesus stomped on many of them, telling them that those weren't scripture. They didn't come from God, but they came from man. And they didn't like it when they were told they were wrong. Saul would have been a part of this group. But not only that, Jesus socialized with sinners. Isn't that amazing that Jesus socialized with sinners? You'd have found him right in the midst of a group of sinners, loving on them and sharing truth with them. He followed and went with Matthew, the tax collector, and he went into a party where Matthew threw a party for him, and it was all tax collectors and sinners. He went into a man's house where a woman who came in there with an alabaster flask who was known as being a sinner, and she poured oil and cried tears and wiped his feet with her hair. He loved on that woman when the very Pharisee who had invited him in didn't show him any love. Jesus socialized with sinners, and they couldn't get past that because to them, the Messiah would be one that wouldn't help those out. He wouldn't look to sinners. He would bring judgment. He would come down and condemn this world. And Saul is now teaching the exact opposite of what he grew up learning. He's now standing on the promises. I love what one text said. It says, when others threw stones, Jesus forgave while others blamed the poor for their own suffering, Jesus had fellowship with the outcasts, willingly listened to their troubles, healed the lepers, and ate with the families of the rejected ones. Where others only saw prostitutes, tax collectors, and worthless fishermen, Jesus saw a group of people with the potential to change the world. Aren't you glad he doesn't see you like the world sees you? 
Aren't you glad he doesn't see you for who you really are? He sees the potential he can use you to accomplish. He sees the grace and love he has towards you. That's why he died for you. And Saul began to preach this. It went directly against everything he had been taught, everything that he had grown up knowing, because he could see a difference in what Jesus could do. He had seen it in his own life. Let me tell you, one of the greatest things you have is your testimony But people better see that you're different. They better see that you're new. And they better see that you're real. Saul begins to preach. Number two, Saul escapes persecution. Look at verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Hey, if you can't beat them, kill them. Right? If you can't defeat them in a debate, why not fight them physically? You know, I've noticed that as, as kids, at least as we've grown up, we should have learned a little bit better. As kids, we understand that a lot of times instead of them debating and talking about things, they actually get into a physical fight. I've seen grown adults try to do the same thing. If you're grown up and you can't use your words, don't settle it with your fists. If you can't use your words, then you're going back to being childish. You're going back to the ways of old. The truth of the matter is, is that's the way these Pharisees thought. Well, if we can't beat him, we can kill him. We can just remove him. We can get him out of the way. We need to settle this one way or another. He is defeating us. He's putting us to shame. He's turning people's lives around. He's changing the world, and we don't like it. Can I tell you something? People do not like the message of Jesus Christ. This world does not like the message of Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because it is life-transforming. It is mountain-moving. It is life-changing. It will do what nothing else can do. There's no message like it in all the world. There's no religion that even compares to a relationship in Jesus Christ. They can't come close. And the reason being is because of the life-changing effects that Jesus Christ has upon us. It changed this man named Saul. You know that one guy... When he was early in, I think it was about the three or four hundreds, he and a guy, another friend, they wanted to disprove. They wanted to disprove Christianity. They said there's two things that Christianity hinges on. And if we can disprove these two things, I believe we can prove to the world that Christianity is not real. If we can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and if we can disprove the conversion of Saul, I believe we can change the world. One guy said, well, I'll take the resurrection of Jesus. The other man said, well, I'll take the conversion of Saul. They went away for years and went and studied and unpacked it as much as they could. They came back together a couple years later, and the one guy who had the resurrection of Jesus Christ said, You know, I'm I'm finding myself to be more in agreement that the resurrection actually happened. And the other guy said, you know, I'm finding that the conversion of Saul seems to be real too. But we need to study a little bit more because this can't be. A couple years later, they came back together and they said, you know what? It is real. Both of them are right. Christianity is true. There's no doubt about it. God changed the life of Saul. There's no doubt about it. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And they wrote two of the most amazing books on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the conversion of Saul. And they had been atheists before that. You see, here's the truth. When you see a changed life, there's something about it. You want to know what's happened. And Saul was completely transformed. And they wanted to persecute him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to get rid of him. But they found out about the plot. And they let him down through the wall. In verse 26, it says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. You know, it's interesting, Galatians chapter 1, 
kind of gives us a little bit more detail what happened between these two events. In Galatians chapter 1, and it begins in verse 15. If you want to look there, they're going to have it up on the screen. But it says it this way. It says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So it was three years later in between these instances. So Paul had a few, or Saul had a few things that he had to be getting right. He wanted to make sure his heart was right. He wanted to make sure he was preaching. He wanted to make sure that he had what he needed to have in order to preach the gospel. But here's the thing. He didn't, it didn't stop him from the very beginning. But he goes up to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples. Now you can imagine they still have word that this is Saul of old. This is Saul the persecutor. God can't change him. You really. How many of you have ever had that said about people? You look at somebody and you look at their life and you see how destitute and how far gone they are according to your eyes. And you look at them and you say, God couldn't save them. God can't change them. God can't turn them around. That's what the disciples thought about Saul. They literally thought that this had to be a trick. That there's no way God could change his life. Let me explain something to you. God can change any life he wants to. God can save any person he wants to. God can change you from being the most destitute of sinners to being the most branded for Jesus Christ. God can take you from the gutters and use you in the pulpit. God can take you from where you lay and stand you up on solid ground. God can change a life. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you walk away. God will meet you where you are and change your life. Saul was that kind of man. And in verse 27 it says, but Barnabas. Oh, you got to love Barnabas the encourager. Everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took a chance. Let me tell you something. It is amazing when there are other men of God who take a chance on young men who feel called to preach the word. When those men take a chance on a young person saying, you know what, I know what you've been, I know what you've done, but I know what Jesus can do in and through you. They take a chance on somebody. I'm going to tell you, it's tough when you come with a history. I'll be honest with you, when I was at my first church and I'd been there for about 13 years, the church I grew up in became available and needed a pastor i thought man that's terrific i grew up in this church i got a story god has changed my life i've been a preacher for 13 years man this will be amazing i know some of the people in that church this is going to be amazing i sent my resume and i never heard from them but i did hear back about why i never heard from them yeah, we remember him. We remember how he terrorized other kids in children's church. We remember how he didn't listen in youth group. We remember him. Yeah, we don't want that guy. Your history can come along with you sometimes. 
And your history can keep others from seeing what God sees in you. But praise God, he is not holding your past against you. If you're saved, he wants to use you and move forward with you. Saul was that kind of man. And the truth is, is only two men were willing to meet him. Peter and James, the Lord's brother, according to Galatians 1 tells us. Those two men were willing to meet him because Barnabas took a chance on him. Barnabas gave him an opportunity. And in verse 28, it says, So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love this. And disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. You say, well, why is that important? Go back to Acts 7 and remember who Stephen was debating. Remember who came against Stephen. It was the Hellenist. And remember who was there holding the clothes of those who stoned him. It was Saul. Now Saul is debating the very ones who he was holding the clothes as they stoned Stephen. He was debating them. He was going against them. He was refuting them. And he was beating them. Wait a minute. Can you imagine what the Hellenists must have thought? Now, if you wonder what that word means, that's a Greek-speaking Jew. Can you imagine what they must have thought at that point? That's the guy that was holding our clothes. That's the guy that was persecuting the church. That's the guy that was right there when we were stoning Stephen. He was in complete agreement with us. And now he's preaching what Stephen preached. What happened? Let me tell you something. Your old people that you used to hang out with, ought to wonder what's different about you. They ought to wonder why you are not the same. They ought to wonder why your message has changed. They ought to wonder why your words have changed. They ought to wonder why your life has changed. And they ought to see it in you. Man, Saul was different. And again, if you can't beat them, kill them. But they tempted to kill him, verse 29. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And everywhere he went, can I tell you something? Satan is afraid when people of God begin to preach the word of God with the power of God filled with the spirit of God. And when that happens, you better be careful. He's on the prowl, roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may destroy. Because he does not like it when the power of God and the gospel of God goes out into all the world. He wants to stop it right there in its tracks. And he'll do everything to attack the men and women of God who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. If Satan's not mad or upset with you, are you doing anything? I'm here to tell you, he's just fine with Christians who want to sit back and do nothing. But he's not happy when you begin to press forward into his territory. We need to be like Saul and press on. Let's look lastly at what happens, and that is that the church really prospers. Look at verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. Five things happened here. They had peace. You want to know why they had peace? The persecutor was now the preacher. <laughs> the guy that was trying to kill them all, was, he, he's not trying to kill them all. He's now trying to save them all. They had peace. Man, there was such a change that the churches all had peace. In other words, once Paul converted... It seemed like persecution halted. Isn't that amazing that they began to have peace? 
And they began to have a great time of prosperity. And look at some of the other things that happened. It said they had peace and they were edified. Edified. You realize that the whole purpose in church is to glorify God and edify believers. Ephesians 4 and verse 16. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. A lot of people say, well, you know, brother, when you preach on sin and when you talk about the need for repentance and you talk about the need for a change, I don't feel edified. I, I feel like you're, you're bringing conviction or you're bringing, you're bringing judgment on me. Let me explain something to you. Here's the edification. If that's the boat you're in, Jesus can transfer you to a different boat. He can take you from your sins and cleanse you and forgive you and change you. He can give you a new name. He can give you a new life. He can remove the old from you. He can take you from being in the grasp of Satan and put you in the hands of God. He can take you from going to the pits of hell and to the gates of heaven. He can move you in such a way and transform you. That's the edification. And if you're a Christian, the edification is this. If there's sin in your life, you can repent, and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's edification if I've ever heard it. It's not God looking, pressing his thumb down on you, ready to judge you. He's right there ready to give you grace and mercy the moment you cry out in repentance. That's edification. But there needs to be transformation. But not only were they having peace and edified, it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. In other words, walking in the fear of the Lord meant they had reverence for God. Can I tell you, I think sometimes we've lost reverence for God. We, we, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes we can go so far on grace that we fail to realize that our God is holy and just and perfect. We can go a little too far with mercy sometimes. And just think that God is going to give us whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, because we're just going to rub the lamp and up comes God and he's going to give us our prayers and everything's going to be fine. No, 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 no. You got to realize our God is holy and just and perfect. And he is the only one that can balance between that and justice and grace and mercy. And he does a perfect job balancing it. I would never tell him anything different. But I'm here to tell you the fear of the Lord needs to come back into the church where we recognize that we stand before a holy God. And that doesn't mean we get to stand before him sinful and in our sins telling God what we think and what he should be doing. What it means is we stand before God humbly knowing that we have no right to stand before God, but yet he allows us to stand before him. There's the fear of the Lord. And then they also had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I love that. You know what the comfort of the Holy Spirit is? He'll guide, he'll direct, he'll protect, and he'll empower you. The Holy Spirit has a great job in and through every life of every Christian. He wants to move and use you. He has a job that he wants you to do. He has something he wants you to fulfill. And the power of the Holy Spirit dwells within us as believers. And he calls us to serve. But lastly, it says, and they were multiplied. You ever notice that God does addition and multiplication, not division and subtraction? He multiplied. The church. It's funny because a lot of people say, well, you know, you're just concerned with numbers. Mm, I'm concerned with souls because every number is a soul. And everyone that gets transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, that is a victory. 
you got to understand in the book of Acts, they were concerned about souls too because in Acts 2.41, it tells us that 3,000 were added to the church. It tells us in Acts 2.47 that the church was growing daily. It tells us in Acts 4.4 that 5,000 men had come to know the Lord. It tells us in Acts 5.14 that it was increasingly added. And in Acts chapter 6, it tells us it was multiplied. In Acts 8, it tells us it was multiplied. Let me tell you something. They couldn't keep up with the numbers because it just kept multiplying. When God is at work, the church will multiply. God will do something ecstatic and overwhelming when he is ready to move. And I'm here to tell you, that's what I want to see God do. When God is in the house, God will prosper that house. He was prospering the church. Well, I'll tell you, I love to read about Saul's life. Because I love to read about how God takes the most broken, sinful, arrogant, and ignorant people, and he transforms their lives. You know why? Because I can put myself in that category when God changed me. And I'm so thankful that he looked past my flaws, and he looked past my sin, and knew what he could do in and through me. And I'm so thankful that I said, yes, Lord. And I repented of my sins. And I chose to follow him. And I'm so thankful for what he did in me. Let me tell you something. Don't hold somebody's past against them. Just know that we serve a God who can erase the past and bless the future of any person in this world. You never know what God is going to do. You never know who God is going to call to preach the gospel. For Saul, it was immediate. God may be calling you to preach the gospel. God may be telling you, this is your day. I've chosen you. I want you. I want you to serve me. I've called you. I'm sending you. Now it's time to go. But I can tell you this. God will call some to be pastors but I believe God will call all of us to share the gospel. There's not a one of us out there that the Great Commission was not given to. But I also pray for you that's in the house today. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how sinful your life is. I don't know what you've been through. But I know God can change your life. I know God can turn your life around. And I know God's desire is to save you, to forgive you for your sins, and to love on you like his child. If that's you today, I pray that you'll come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the life transformation you did in the life of Saul. I love Saul's declaration in 1 Timothy that he was the chief of sinners. It's a reminder to me that there is no one too far gone. 